Son, had a conversation with a friend a while back. Um, this was a guy who's young and married and had no kids. You remember those days? Oh, weren't they nice? Uh, when, when he didn't have children, and I remember in that conversation, uh, he was telling me what they were going to do, him and his wife were going to do when they have kids. When we have kids, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do this. And I just kind of wanted to look at it and say, bless your heart. You think you know what you're going to do. It's funny whenever you're young before children come along and, and you, you say to yourself, well, I'm never going to say this. I'm never going to do this. I'm always going to do this. Um, and then you find yourself turning into your own dad, you know, and you find yourself repeating the things that you said. You know, parenthood has a way of making you a liar in a sense. Uh, you say you're never going to do things and you do. Uh, right now in our house, we are in the uh, we're in the why phase. You remember those days? You, you tell your kids anything to do, but why? Because I said so, you know, and, and, he's, and I used to think I'll never say because I said so. But why? Why do I need to brush my teeth? Because I said so. You know, and, and really that why question is not a bad question. Uh, most everything we do, uh, we do because there's some reason, because there's some purpose, because there's some why to why we do it. I mean, everything that we do as we go through the day, we do for some reason. You got up this morning and you brushed your teeth before you came to church. Why did you do that? Because you wanted your breath to smell good, right? Because you didn't want your Cheerios still in your teeth when you smile. Uh, you get up tomorrow morning and you're going to go to work. Why do you do that? Because you want to keep your job. Because you need to earn a paycheck. Because you have bills to pay and you have mouths to feed. You're going to drive that car around that you have and it's going to come at a time whenever it's got 5,000 more miles on it that you're going to need to do what? Change the oil. Why do you do that? Because you want it to keep running. Purpose. There's a purpose in what we do. And I found that oftentimes when we do things that have no purpose, that have no reason, that have no value, we typically don't stick to them very long, do we? When we find that there's something in our lives that there is no real reason why we do it, we're just doing it because we do it, um, oftentimes we'll drop it. We'll, we'll quit doing it. Uh, well, I want to ask this question this morning and really this whole month. Have you ever stopped to think about why we do what we do at church? Why do we do what we do at church? You know, I'm afraid that many have left the church because they failed to consider that question, because they failed to ask themselves, why do we do what we do? Tom Rayner, who was the head of Lifeway for many years, in one of his books and doing research on this kind of thing, he wrote this. He said, it's a myth that college students leave the church because of the university. It's because we failed to show them that the church is essential to their lives as believers. In other words, they didn't see the purpose in the church. They didn't see the reason. They didn't see the value in it. And so they abandoned the church because they don't feel like it's an essential part of their lives. It's not that it doesn't have value. They just don't see the value. They don't understand the value. So this month, as we begin the school year, for many of our families in the church, and my brain has always thought of August as being the beginning of the year. I know it's not, but when you're a youth minister, for as long as I was, you think of August as the beginning of everything. Uh, and so I want us to take this time in the month of August to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do in the church? This morning, we're going to look at the subject of worship. Why do we worship? Why does God call us to come together to worship? Next Sunday, Gary is going to take us through a study on why do we study the Bible? Why do we do discipleship? A two week, another week after that, Blake's going to take us through a study on why must we be a people who shares our faith, a people who are committed to evangelism as a church. And at the end of the month, I want to take us through a study of why must we be a people who are all about God's mission, all about seeing the gospel reach the ends of the earth, all about serving those around us. And my prayer is, as we do this, 
as we come to better understand the purpose behind that word church, that we're going to better fulfill our calling as a church. And so I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 2 where we're going to start today. We're going to be a little bit everywhere today. I know usually I prefer to preach out of one passage and just stay there, but today's God didn't bring me there. He, he took me all over, the, all over the book, which is fine too. And I want us to look at the purpose of worship. Um, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 15. I think it's going to be on the screen too, but, but it's always good to turn in your Bible there as well. I don't know if you realize this, but we are all born to be worshipers. We're all born to worship something, and that something is, is the Lord. Back in Genesis, we read this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, I know that the word worship doesn't seem to appear there now, does it? But yet it does. The words work and keep there in other places in the Old Testament are translated worship and obey. To worship and obey. So, so when Adam was placed in the garden and he was giving that task of taking care of that garden, in a sense, he was worshiping the Lord. In that context, the very act of tending that garden for Adam was an act of worship. It was an act of obedience. It was an act of honoring the Lord by fulfilling the purpose that he had been given right there in that moment to take care of what God had put him in. He was made to be a worshiper. He was made to be one who would honor the Lord. That was his purpose. That was his design. And I would say in just the same way, all of us are designed with an ultimate purpose, an ultimate reason, and that is to worship the Lord. We are made to be worshipers. Do you realize that even non-Christians get this? I read a guy this past week um, who is dead now, but his name was David Foster Wallace. And he was an author, and in a commencement speech he was giving one time, he said this. He said, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now, this man wasn't a believer, but I think he's got it right. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. And I think he even hit the nail on the head. The choice that we get is what to worship. And the problem is we oftentimes choose the wrong thing to Worship the wrong person to worship. I like to think of it like this. Imagine a compass. We all know what a compass looks like, right? Now, a compass, what does a compass do? What does the needle of a compass do? Where does it point? North, right? No matter where you turn, the needle is going to spin, and it's always going to be pointing to true north. Why? It's what it's designed to do. It's what it's made to do. It is pointing that way because of the, the, the polar caps, right? The, the North Pole and the South Pole. The Earth is a big magnet. It makes that needle swing around the way it's supposed to. Now, what would happen if you had that compass in your hand and you took a, a bar magnet and you stuck it next to the compass? What's it going to do? Suddenly that needle is going to begin to turn in a way it's not supposed to go because something else was introduced in its environment that made it suddenly go in the wrong direction. You know, in much the same way that a compass is designed to point to true north, we as individuals who were created by God were made to point to true north, to the Lord to God, to worship Him. But unfortunately, sin entered this world. And just like that magnet that was placed next to that compass, our worship, because of sin, began to veer off course. And instead of man worshiping the Lord as he was made to do, he began to worship other things, other people, uh, other ideas. We're made to be worshipers. Now, you might disagree with the whole idea that people worship other things. You might say to yourself, well, I've never heard of a worship service for a car. I've never read the gospel of the Memphis Grizzlies. 
Um, I've never seen people worship their jobs, but let me tell you, we do. You see, oftentimes uh, we don't realize that worship doesn't necessarily always look like what we think of. When we think of worship, what do we think of? This, right? We think of coming to a building, walking in, sitting in rows. We think of standing up, singing some songs, praying together. This is what we call worship, right? As Christians, this is what we've identified as worship. But you know that word worship really is an old English word. It's the combination of two words, worth-ship. It is to give worth, to ascribe worth to anything. And our worship, when I'm talking about here, is not all, doesn't always look like what we think of as this worship. But unfortunately, many times we'll begin to ascribe worth to give value, too much value, to things other than the Lord. I'm not saying we literally bow down physically to these things, but I'm saying spiritually and mentally we begin to declare that other things are worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our mind's attention. You see, all of life really is an act of worship. And so we better make sure that our worship is lining up with what Scripture tells us. Turn in Colossians chapter 3. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3. He he hits the nail on the head and he tells us um, what true worship is to be. Colossians 3 verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now that sounds like what we do in here, right? Letting the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and admonishing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That sounds like corporate worship, right? But then Paul in verse 17, he expands it. He widens the worship. Field, really, he says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so he said, make sure you're worshiping the Lord in your worship, but even when you walk out of the building, whatever you're doing, make sure it's done with a worshipful attitude, worshiping the Lord in what you do. Verse 23, skip down there. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you realize in the Old Testament that the word serving and the word worship are really almost synonymous? That the priest would serve the Lord and that was an act of worship. And we're called to serve the Lord as an act of worship. And so I think we do a disservice to true biblical worship when we limit the idea to one particular thing. When we say that worship is only What goes on in here? Sometimes even when we say worship, we limit it even farther. And we might say, well, we're going to have a worship set. We're going to sing some worship songs. And then we're going to have some preaching. But really and truly, everything we do on a Sunday morning is worship. When we gather together before service and we hug necks and we shake hands and we we enjoy just the community of the church, we are worshiping the God who created us as the body of Christ and brought us together. When we pray together, we are worshiping the Lord by, by placing ourselves in humility before the Lord. When we sing together, when we listen to others sing solos and specials, and we we play instruments, and we listen to others play, we are worshiping. When we read the Word of God together, we are worshiping. When we hear someone stand in this pulpit and preach the Word, we are worshiping. When we give our tithes, we are worshiping. When we pray to dismiss and, and the church dispersed out into the world to be the church, we are worshiping the Lord in those acts. 
But I want us to think for just a moment about why we need what goes on in here. Yes, all of life is worship, and we better make sure that our worship is pointed toward the Lord as it ought to be. But I want us to really consider why we need corporate worship. We, we worship privately out there, but we need corporate worship here. First reason why is that worship is commanded. We must be people who worship simply because God said so. This is the instance where the Lord gets to look at us and say, because I said so. He gets to do that, right? He has that privilege. Hebrews 10.25. It says, not, he says, do not neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, keep gathering together worship. Jesus, when he was on that, in that wilderness being tempted by the devil and, and the devil asked him to bow the knee before him, tempted him to bow the knee and worship. In Matthew 4.10, Jesus responded with, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When Jesus was in that discussion with the Samaritan woman and they were going back and forth about where the true location of worship was, was it in Jerusalem? Was it somewhere else? John 4, 23, Jesus replied and said, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking people to worship Him. But on top of the commands, we also have biblical examples. I think about Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that example of the church gathering together. The, the early church would gather together for the disciples' teaching, for prayer, and, and for the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. They, 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 they made a regular habit right from the start to gather together to worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul gives instructions to the church at Corinth on Worship. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5, does the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. And so it's commanded and it's also encouraged because we see the example. But let me tell you, we don't just worship because God tells us to do that. That's enough reason. That's enough reason to do it, but we don't just have to stop with because God said so. I believe, secondly, we worship because worship is an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. Have you ever stopped to think about what actually takes place when we gather together in here to worship? Have you ever stopped to really consider the weight of what is taking place? We are in an encounter with the living God. Scripture tells us that the Lord is here with us. And let me tell you, that ought to motivate you and that ought to intimidate you. That when we gather together and we are here in God's presence, awaiting the Lord to speak, that ought to give us a desire to want to be here. But it ought to not, also ought to scare us a little bit that the Lord is here. Richard Foster was a guy who wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's tremendous. He said this uh, when he was writing about worship. He said, a striking feature of worship in the Bible is that the people gathered in what we would only call a holy expectancy. They believed they would actually hear the voice of God. Now let me ask you this. When you got up this morning and you got yourself dressed and you hopped in the car and were driving to this place today, did you expect to hear the voice of God? Were you prepared to encounter the living God in worship today? The New Testament church and in the Old Testament Israel they expected to hear from the Lord every time they gathered together in worship. But do we do that? Did you expect to hear God's voice 
in worship today? And if not, why not? I believe it's because you missed part of the reason why we worship. And the reason that we often don't experience that is not because God didn't show up. It's not because God wasn't ready, but it's because we failed to prepare ourselves. So often, I believe, worship feels empty to us. It feels routine. It feels normal because we have made it that way. Because we've lost that holy expectancy. We've forgotten what is taking place in this room, the holy moment that is taking place when the church gathers as the body and proclaims the name of Jesus. The Lord is with us. We worship here because the Lord is among us and because it's the only proper response to do so. What else can we do but worship? Thirdly, I would say we worship. We must be people of worship because worship shapes us. It shapes us. That guy David Foster Wallace, he, he said in that same speech, he said that whatever you worship will eat you alive. And what he meant by that is what we worship consumes us. It becomes a part of us and we become a part of it. And in fact, uh, that idea, that he didn't come up with that idea. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 115 came up with that idea. And this is what it says in Psalm 115 verse 4. Listen to this. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. He's talking about these idols, these, these golden calves and things. But look at verse 8. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. We become like whatever we worship. Our lives, our minds, our, our actions are formed into the image of whatever it is, whoever it is that we worship. And if we worship the world and its ways and the desires of the, this world, guess what? Our lives are going to be shaped into the image of this world. But if our worship is pointed toward the Lord Jesus Christ over time, God will use that to shape us, to mold us, to make us into the image of, the, of Jesus Christ. Worship has a tremendous power of shaping our hearts, of shaping our minds. God uses worship to train our hearts to love Him even more fully, to serve Him even more faithfully. And I would say He even does that when we don't start with the greatest motives, when we don't start with the greatest desire, when we don't start with, with the, the, the great, like, I got to do this, I want to do this. That if we will simply submit ourselves and be obedient and faithful to the Lord... The have to will turn into a want to, I believe. And we'll be transformed in what God wants us to be. I kind of think of it like this. Uh, when I was younger, like elementary school, middle school, high school, all through college, um, I hated reading. I don't know if any of you were like this. I, I, I would sit down and I would open up a book to study or even a book. To, and I never read for enjoyment. I never did um, at that age. And uh, I would open it up and I would read it and I would close the book and I would not remember a single thing I read. Anybody else like that? You know what I'm talking about? You just, it just goes in, it goes straight in your eyes and straight out. You know, you just don't even remember anything. And I just did not enjoy it. It just felt like such a task to me. I felt like I was a slow reader and I just couldn't get through stuff. And it took me so long to read stuff. But then something changed. And you know what changed? I read stuff. And I read and I read and I read. And suddenly God, through that, began to change 
my heart began to give me a new habit, a new hobby, a new thing that I would love, and that is to read. I love to read. And uh, what happened? I simply read and read and read and read, and suddenly I began to actually enjoy reading. You might not come here today with the perfect motive, right? You might have not have come here today um, perfectly ready to worship the Lord. Even maybe, maybe you came here because your wife drug you here, your husband drug you here, um, your, your grandparent drag, drug you here, and you didn't really want to be here. But I can tell you that God can take your faithfulness to worship, and I believe He'll slowly begin to shape your heart if you'll be faithful to the act of worship. And then lastly this morning, I'll say this, that worship prepares us that it prepares us. And so it's commanded. It's an encounter with God. It shapes us, and I believe it prepares us. And I'll say it, it prepares us in two different ways. I believe, first of all, worship prepares us to live for Christ in this life. In this life. You know, one of our motivations to worship is for personal spiritual growth. You know, we come to worship because we want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord and His ways. We want to grow in our spiritual walk. But I have to give a little warning here. You know, um, anytime that we simply make worship about my own personal growth, there's a danger that we begin, begin, to, be, begin to become consumers. You know what I'm talking about? Um, have you ever talked to somebody? you've ever had, had, a, had a, a conversation with somebody and they said, well, I just don't, I just didn't get anything out of church today. I... Uh, the music just wasn't up to my liking. The preaching, it just wasn't, wasn't what I liked. It wasn't my style. Well, let me tell you, worship's not about you. Amen? It's not about me. It's not about a soloist. In fact, it's not entertainment. I believe many times we have decided in our American culture that worship is entertainment. The TV is for entertainment. Hobbies are for entertainment. Worship is for praising the Lord. Worship is for lifting His name high and declaring that He is worthy, the only one worthy of our praise. And so worship does, it stretches us, it molds us, it prepares us. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the early church devoted themselves to worship, to the teaching of God's commands, to gathering together, to pray together. And as a result, guess what happened? The church grew in faith and in number. They were prepared to walk through this life by the act of worship. In Matthew chapter 28, we read the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. And you know what the context is there? You know where that whole command came out of? A time of worship. We forget that. We oftentimes will skip over that. But right before Jesus gave those commands, it says that the disciples gathered together around Jesus and they worshiped. And out of that time of worship came that purpose, came that command that then propelled them forward. They were prepared to live in that, that new world without Christ with them physically because they had worshipped the Lord. Worship has a way of exposing our flaws, of pointing out our failures and helping us help through the Lord's power to, to turn away from them. I, I think of Isaiah chapter 6, beautiful example of worship in Scripture. You remember that story where Isaiah the prophet has that encounter with God and he sees the Lord. And what is Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. He was broken in that moment of worship. He knew not what to do. But what's the Lord do? Heals him. But he doesn't stop there. He then sends him forth with a purpose. 
He prepared him to carry out his purpose, his calling through a time of worship. Worship prepares us to live here in this life. And I would say finally that it prepares us to live with Christ in the next life. We don't have time to do this this morning, but if we turn to the book of Revelation, we could read through the whole book and you would find example after example after example of what is taking place now in heaven and what will be taking place for eternity in heaven after Christ's return. And you know what you're going to see a lot of? Worship, praise, adoration. Now, I happen to believe that when Christ comes and and His kingdom is set up here on earth, that we're going to live life in somewhat of a way like we think of it now. We think of, I I believe it's going to go back to an Eden-like state, and so we're going to do things, but there's going to be an element of worship there. All of our lives are going to be acts of worship, right, true worship, but there will be times of worship because we read an awful lot about people singing around the throne, giving praise to the Lord. And so our worship here, I believe, ought to prepare us for what we're going to be doing for eternity. It ought to get us ready to do what is our ultimate calling, and that is to worship the Lord for the rest of time. I believe it ought to give us a foretaste, in a sense, get us excited for what we're going to do in eternity. And think about it like this. One of the things I love about summer is it is grilling season. Amen? Anybody like firing up the grill in the summertime? Right? I, I tell Kim that the only cologne I ever like to wear is charcoal smoke. It smells great, right? You get out there, you get to grill, and you come in, especially throw a little apple wood in the charcoal, get a little scent going. Oh, man, it's so good. But there's one smell that's even better than just pure charcoal smoke when you put the meat on the grill, right? My favorite's a ribeye. I, like, I love ribeyes. I'll throw that ribeye on there, and then you smell that, that smell of the meat cooking. And, you know, there, there's, um, there's a privilege that comes to being the guy who is managing the grill, right? You're the one with the tongs. You get to sample stuff, correct? You know, you get that steak just about done, and you whip out that knife, and you kind of cut off a little piece, and, and you, you take a little foretaste of what's to come, right? Now, I have never had an instance in which I did that and I got full in that moment, right? I, I never had an instance where I cut off a little taste of that steak and I ate a bite and I said, okay, I'm good. I don't have to eat any more of it. No, it just wet my appetite. It got me excited for when the full meal was ready to go. And then once it's all ready, I took that steak off, off the grill and I brought it in. It was time for the feast, right? That's true worship. When we come here, we come for the foretaste. We come to whet our appetite, to get us excited about the Lord in anticipation of the great wedding feast when one day we will spend the rest of eternity with the Lord, dining around His table, enjoying His presence, worshiping His majesty. That's why we worship here, to prepare us for an eternity with the Lord. As we come to the end of the message today, I need to come back to um, the thought that I, we had at the beginning of what is our purpose, our true north. I know for some of us here today, uh, we've lost our true north when it comes to worship. Our, our lives may not fully reflect worshiping God. We haven't genuinely worshiped the Lord in a long time, maybe. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're lost. You're not a Christian. And your life has never worshipped God. 
maybe you've prayed some, maybe you've attended a worship services, but you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe today that's what you need to do. Or maybe you're a believer here today. But yet something else has taken the place of the Lord as that primary object of your worship. Something else has taken your attention, turned your eyes away from God. And yeah, you might attend a service, but your heart's not really in it. Your mind's not really in it. You're always thinking about something else. I read a quote this past week that I thought was great. It said, modern man worships at his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. This morning, do you realize just how badly you need worship? Do you realize just how much your soul, your mind, your heart needs worship? Do you realize just how much God can do through you? Do you realize just how drained and depleted your life becomes without it? I want you to think about this right here. This phone that many of you have probably in your pocket, in your purse, um, you do what with this phone probably every night? What do you do? You charge it, right? Because if you didn't, what's going to happen to this phone in a day or, or so? Maybe not even a day, depending on how old your phone is. What's going to happen? It's going to go dead, right? Your phone does you no good unless it's been recharged. It's going to go dead. It's going to get depleted. It's not going to be able to do anything for you. It's just going to become a useless piece of metal and plastic and electronic parts. Well, your phone's not the only thing that needs to be recharged. There's a greater thing that needs to be recharged, and it's your soul, your spirit. And when we disconnect from worship, it's like we've pulled our hearts off the charger, and we begin to go dead. So this morning, I want to challenge us as a church to really consider, why do we worship? Are we giving worship the priority that it deserves? Pray with me. Father God, what a privilege it is that we can know you and that we can worship you. To be called your people. To have been accepted by the one true God and to have the privilege to call out to you in praise and adoration. To not approach you with a fear that we're going to be rejected, but with a knowledge that we've been received. What a gift worship is. But Father, so often we neglect worship. We don't give it the time that it deserves. We don't give it our mental energy. We don't prepare ourselves for worship. Father, I pray that for us as a church, for me as an individual, you would renew our desire to worship you, to praise you, to encounter you among your people. Father, if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their life has been spent worshiping other things, other idols. And right now, if they died, in their current situation, they would be apart from you for all eternity. But God, you've made a way for them to have eternal life, and that's through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray if there's someone today who needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and to respond to that invitation of salvation, I pray that 
their act of worship today would be an act of surrender to you. Father, if there are other decisions that need to be made today in the lives of lives of believers here in this room, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to be obedient to you and to step out and to walk in obedience. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing.